When we all get to heaven, God's family, what a great vision that is. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of our wonderful godly women. Uh, We so much appreciate each of you and the impact you have on each of us. I know we have a lot of company today, a lot of visitors that are in town visiting mom or grandma or aunt, and uh, it is just a wonderful, wonderful blessing to have you with us today. Um, I can't imagine a church without the great godly women that we have in this church. Uh, You are a part of every good thing that happens through this ministry and through the life of this church. So we say thank you today. We join the rest of our nation in saying thank you uh, because of what you mean for us and because of what you do for us. What Sean shared, what David mentioned, those are exactly, exactly right. Quoting from that great Proverbs 31 vision of that godly woman and being able to share about those women that have touched us in such a special way through the years. It's a, it's a great, great blessing. We do have gifts for you, as uh, D- David mentioned. I wanted to say something about that. This is a bookmark. It's got several different uh, ribbons. It's not the one I'm using, and so you'll be glad to know that I'm not planning on turning to all of that many verses. But if you want to mark those in your Bible, then that's what that's for. Uh, And we'll have some of our wonderful young people in the back. As you leave today, uh, all of our ladies, you will be given uh, one of these. And so uh, we appreciate you so very much, and I hope you'll... Uh, be reminded not just of the wonders of God's love and God's word, but also uh, of our love and appreciation for you as well. So again, happy Mother's Day and also happy anniversary to my Joycey. Uh, as many of you know, um, uh, we, had, uh, we celebrated 44 years uh, on Friday and um, uh, May 7th, 1977. Uh, was also a Mother's Day weekend that Saturday. And whereas God has blessed us in our marriage uh, in a great, great way, and we enjoyed our our wedding day so much, I would not necessarily recommend getting married on Mother's Day weekend. It was was a little bit of a challenge for the florist, I think, especially. However, the bad news is we didn't get all of the flowers uh, that we wanted, all of the candles that we wanted, but we did get some things that we got to keep that we weren't expecting to be able to keep because they were so gracious about that. So happy anniversary to Joycey, happy Mother's Day uh, to all of our wonderful ladies today. And I like this little story. Two kids told mother not to cook for Mother's Day. They would do it. Nine pots two skillets, four large bowls, 11 spoons, five measuring cups, and one whole roll of paper towels later, mom said, that was the best jello I ever had. (laughs) It's the thought that counts. Isn't that what we say? Happy Mother's Day. Have you ever written a letter to a place you've never been? This morning in our lesson from the last part of Romans, Uh, We'll close out the series next Sunday, but today we'll read through the end of Romans 16. Uh, Today it's all about relationships. And as Paul has shared throughout this great study, and especially as he shares in Romans 16, clearly it's all about relationships. How do we know that? Well, can you imagine writing a letter to a place you've never been? One of the great things about uh, mothers 
and all of our Christian ladies is that relationships are very high on their priority list. They're high on God's priority list as well. And so writing a letter to a place you've never been, you can only do that if you have relationships with the people that are there. And that's as we're going to see exactly what happened in the case of the Apostle Paul. Though he has yet to visit Rome, Paul sends greetings to several people and ends with some final exhortations. Well over 20 names show up in Romans chapter 16. So a couple of things about this. First of all, Paul had a relationship with a place he'd never been to, Rome. Paul had a relationship with the city of Rome, the center of the empire. He had it in his heart to go there. He had it in his heart to preach the gospel there. And it was always on his radar to go to the capital city of the empire and share God's word and God's love with them. Paul had a relationship with a place he'd never been to the city of Rome, the center of the Roman Empire. And so a couple of things about that. First of all, Paul's hope was to visit Rome. In Romans chapter 15, he makes this clear. We mentioned this passage last week. We'll review it briefly today. Romans 15, beginning at verse 23. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. Uh, He was writing from Corinth, as best we can tell, in modern-day Greece. And so he says, since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Verse 25, now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, two provinces in modern day Greece, We're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Paul's hope was to visit Rome. In fact, as he begins the letter to the, to the Romans in chapter one, he says, I, I am a firm believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm ready to preach that everywhere, including there in Rome. Why? Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness that is by faith from first to last. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God's salvation to the Jew first and then also to the non-Jew. And so as he has shared, as you know, throughout this book, he brings that up again about that special relationship between Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. Between the Jews who had been the people of God since the days of Abraham 2,000 years before. And the Gentiles who now are welcomed into the church through the gospel and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As we have seen, that was a hard transition and still is. And is probably the reason why Paul writes this letter. Paul's ultimate destination, he says, is Spain. Apparently writing from Corinth, Paul hopes to go to Rome 
and that the Roman Christians will provide some financial and emotional support for him as he travels from there to Spain. However, as Acts reports, he is arrested in Jerusalem, faces hearings in Jerusalem and Caesarea, one of the centers of the Roman guard there, and is forced to appeal to Caesar. And that means a trip under arrest to Rome. Paul ultimately does do that, as you know, from those exciting uh, uh, passages in Acts 27 and ends up in Rome in Acts 28 under arrest. Tradition says that he was released from that imprisonment and was able to travel to Spain to preach the gospel to Jews and Gentiles and then was arrested again and ultimately put to death in Rome somewhere around A.D. 65 to 67 which is why as he writes this letter to the Romans, wondering how things will go in Jerusalem, he seeks their prayers. So his hope was to visit Rome, but Paul's request was for their prayers. His request was for them to pray for him. Romans 15, beginning in verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Let's just stop right there for a moment. We are partners in ministry through prayer. Whatever good is done by anyone, whether it's the preacher, the shepherds, deacons, ministry leaders, missionaries, Bible class teachers, we are partners together through prayer. And Paul felt that the contribution that people gave by praying for him was a significant part in the ministry that he did, and I believe the same. Pray, verse 31, that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. That second part, though he went to them with joy, it wasn't quite as smooth as he had hoped for and as he had prayed for. Because as we said, when he does get to Jerusalem, he is arrested and has to appeal to Caesar to save his life from the Jews. He knew that he would get a better hearing by the pagan Romans in their court under Caesar in Rome than he would from his own people there in Jerusalem or even in Caesarea. Paul requests their prayers and he asks them, that they would pray that he would be kept safe. And the reason, it seems, is not his own personal regard for his own personal safety. We see him discounting that a lot of the time. But here he is on a mission. He has money, contributions from the Gentile churches in Corinth, in Berea, in Philippi, and all of those areas where he had been to. And now he wanted to take that to the church in Jerusalem. And he wanted safety. On that, because they needed that contribution because of the destitute times they were under. And so he prays, let, let God be merciful to me so that this journey I can be kept safe to fulfill this need. We see several other passages, and they're listed on the outlines there in Ephesians 6 to the Colossians, to the Thessalonians, where Paul asks for them to pray for him. And so all our leaders here share that same desire and request, whether you're watching online here in, in our assembly 
in this general area or somewhere else in our world, we ask for your prayers. We ask for your prayers. Paul had a relationship with this place he'd never been to, the city of Rome, and is hoping to visit there and seeking their prayers. But Paul had a relationship with a lot of people in Rome. And to me, that's what makes Romans 16 so special. It's amazing the number of people that Paul mentions in the 16th chapter of the book of Rome in a place where he had never been. Why? Because he had a relationship with them. Even though he had never been to the city, he had been involved in the people's lives who were there. Paul had a relationship with a lot of people in Rome. So let's read these first 16 verses of Romans 16 and then kind of make some comments on some of the ones he mentions. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, Romans 16 verse 1, a deacon, some translations a servant, we'll talk about that in a moment, of the church in Sincrea, which is near Corinth. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia the western part of modern-day Turkey. Verse 6, greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. We'll talk about that term, apostle, in a moment as well. Verse 8, greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apellus, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. What a great statement on this Mother's Day in 2021. The single preacher, missionary, who specifically mentions this woman who had been like a mother to him. Verse 14, greet Asinocritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. What an impressive, impressive list of names, of people. Obviously, Paul not just saying, tell this person hello, but actually saying how he has a relationship with them, what they mean to him, what they have done for him personally and for the church overall. There's a similar list of names in Colossians chapter 4, another city in the western province of modern-day Turkey, 
that Paul had never been to and yet addresses so many people there in that church. Paul had a relationship with a lot of people in Rome. What exactly does that mean? I love this quote in Tony Dungy's book, The One-Year Uncommon Life Daily Challenge. It is simply this, shared joy is a double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. We sang the song just a few minutes ago about being God's family. And when a brother or sister has grief and is suffering, we're all there for each other. Just as Paul told the Romans earlier in this great letter, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. That's what a church family, God's family does. That's what people who are in relationship with each other do. Shared joy is a double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. So let's speak for just a moment about some of the names that are on this list in Romans 16. First of all, Phoebe, this incredible woman who is talked about in the first couple of verses. And it may be that as Paul, because of the way he words this, she may have been the one that carried this letter from Paul to the city of Rome. She is called a servant. Literally, the word is diakonos. It's the same word that we translate in other contexts, the word deacon. And some versions, including the NIV that I use, translate it here as well. Some may translate it deaconess. Phoebe was a woman. You can tell male versus female in the names in this passage in the original language, just as you can in Espanol. You can't do it as well in English, but in Spanish and in first century Greek, you can tell by the way the structure of the word is, by the ending, if it's a masculine or a feminine noun, and so it would be applied to a man or a woman. In this case, Phoebe is called a servant. And that word, diakonos, sometimes, depending on the, con- on the context, may refer to a deacon in the Lord's church. We have several great men who are so active in our ministry here who serve this church as one of our deacons. And we read about that in Philippians 1, verse 1, which when Paul addresses the church at Philippi, he says specifically the elders and the deacons. We read about deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3 calling on them to be family men, to to be husbands and faithful husbands at that, to have children that are subject to them to be men of faith, to be spiritual men. But the word is also used in other contexts. For example, in Romans chapter 13, as you know, it's it's used of, of Caesar himself. It's used of the civil authorities. In chapter 15, we see that used in a more more general context as well in chapter 15, verse 8. So what do we make of Phoebe here? Well, because of that teaching in 1 Timothy 3, we realize that she was not a a deacon of the church, certainly not the husband of one wife, but was she a faithful servant of God? Absolutely. Was she someone very important to Paul that was a part of his ministry and now was being recommended to the church there in Rome? Absolutely. Absolutely. In verses three through five, we read about Priscilla and Aquila, and it's interesting that she is mentioned first there. They had fled Rome when Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews in the year 49. They had moved to Corinth, where they were now, and, and had met, or where they were earlier, and had met Paul there, and then accompanied him to Ephesus according to Acts 18 and 19. And it's very likely, as he describes them having risked their lives with him, that that took place in Ephesus 
as we read those events in Acts 19. Shortly after that, they returned to Rome and possibly when the emperor Claudius died in the year 54. One of the house churches in Rome met at their house. Paul says that. And possibly others are referred to in this passage when he talks about the household of Aristobulus or the household of this person or that person. It could be that he's talking about the church that met at that house. Another couple that he mentions are Andronica, Andronicus and Junia in verse 7. Uh, a male and a female, possibly a married couple. They are mentioned as being outstanding among the apostles in verse 7. And again, that term is used in a general sense and in a technical sense, sometimes referring to the 12 apostles or Paul the apostle, but it can also be referring to someone who was sent with a message, with a mission. And I think that's how it's describing Andronicus and Junia here. They were definitely people who had a mission, possibly even missionaries. Paul and Barnabas are called apostles in Acts chapter 14. And Paul uses the term to describe some of those who would be helping him carry this gift to the Jews in 2 Corinthians 8. These two were probably missionaries who had been Christians. And Paul says this about them. It's really interesting in verse 8, verse 7. He said they had been Christians longer than Paul himself, and they had been in prison with him. Quite a relationship that he shared with this couple. Well, there are many others that are mentioned here. We won't go over them all, but it is an impressive list, again, considering that the apostle had never been there. And yet he knew all of these people. Also impressive is the number of women mentioned, as we've already seen. According to uh, the theologian and writer John Stott, of the 26 people Paul greets in this passage, nine of them are women, including several that he commends for working hard in the Lord and for working for Paul and with Paul himself. I don't see how you can read this list and accuse Paul of being sexist, Paul of being someone who left women out. According to other writings, such as 1 Corinthians 14, he, he was very clear about uh, the role that they had in the worship assemblies of the church. But that didn't mean that they were not servants of the Lord and active in ministry in so very many ways. They were in the first century, and they certainly are today in our West Irwin church family. Another interesting thing about this list, according to some, some of the names were common names for first century slaves, which is a really interesting thing considering when he writes to the church at Philippi from Rome under arrest. In Philippians 4 verse 22, he says, all God's people here send you greetings, especially those of Caesar's household. He could be talking about slaves that were a part of Caesar's household. He could be talking about people who actually were there in an official capacity, working in the capital themselves. Well, in the next passage, beginning in verse 21, Paul sends greetings uh, with, from those who are with him. Uh, in Romans 16, beginning at verse 21. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, verse 22, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greeting. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. 
So a few things about these guys. Timothy, we know, Paul's son in the gospel. Uh, Paul addresses him and shares with them that he sends his greetings. Tertius, is, this is all we know about him. But what we do know from this is that he was the secretary. He was the amanuensis. He was the scribe that wrote this letter as Paul dictated it. Gaius is one who was mentioned as one of the few that Paul baptized in Corinth. And Erastus held some official city position. He had some office there, possibly some have suggested a city treasurer or even a public works director. And interestingly enough, there's a first century Latin manuscript near the city of ancient Corinth in the ruins there that includes his name, Erastus, the public works director. Scripture confirmed once again. Of course, we need to emphasize Romans 16, verse 16. All the churches of Christ greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Obviously, there was no pandemic going on in the first century, apparently. Greet one another with a holy elbow bump, maybe. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, it means to greet one another. It means whatever is appropriate socially and between people. Whatever is the right thing to do, do that. Maybe a holy hug, maybe the holy handshake, maybe the holy elbow bump or fist bump, or just a a smile and a nod, whatever it might be. All of the churches of Christ send you greetings. Another thing that the first century language has in common with Spanish is the way they do possession. The churches of Christ, it could be translated Christ churches. This is Bill's Bible. In Espanol, it would be um, La Biblia de... Guillermo, maybe? The Bible of Bill? How do you say Church of Christ in Spanish? You say it, Iglesia de Cristo. Churches of Christ. And very similar to the way they said it in the book of Acts. So what does it mean? Well, it's not a technical name for the church. It's a descriptive name, just like all the other descriptive names in the New Testament are used to describe the church. Why do we call it the Churches of Christ? Because we're Christ's churches. It's a very appropriate name to use. In 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul addresses the church of God at Corinth. To the Thessalonians, he writes to the church of the Thessalonians. Again, the church is about relationships, relationships with each other, relationships with Jesus Christ. Shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. The church is all about relationships helping each other be a a better relationship with God, but also cultivating and growing that relationship that we have with each other. We see that clearly in the relationship that the Apostle Paul had with people in a town he had never, ever been to. Amazing. Well, as we close today, we want to mention these last few verses from Romans chapter 16. Paul's relationship with this, with The people at Rome is seen in how he ends the letter. And again, the emphasis is upon relationship. The emphasis is upon relationship. And so first of all, there is a word of warning that goes very consistently with what we have seen throughout this book and certainly in chapters 14 and 15. In Romans 16, beginning at verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. 
By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. I think he's specifically talking about those who are being disruptive because of the issue he had just spent two chapters talking about in chapters 14 and 15, who are causing division in the church between Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian who were living in such a way that the gospel was not enough and they were destroying the work of God for whom Christ died. He issues the strongest of warnings there, but then he ends with a word of assurance. Romans 16, the last three verses. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. Paul gives them a word of assurance knowing that Jesus has got this. And he gives us that same word today. Jesus has got this. We are called upon to share that message and to live that message and to rely on that Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, who gave us his spirit, who is our way to the Father. We sang that song earlier as he laid down his life. We offer this sacrifice that we may live just as he died, willing to pay the price. How beautiful, how beautiful is the body of Christ. Next week, we'll close out this study with the reminder of the quote that we began with. If you get Romans, God gets you. One of the things Romans tells us more than anything else, it's all about relationships. If we can help you in your relationship with our Savior, come as we stand sing our song together.